0: morning. Please stand for the scripture reading. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Treasures in heaven. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness! No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Word of God.
1: Good morning. It is uh, it's good to be up here. It feels like it's been a while. Hope that you have many of you have been enjoying your summer so far. Uh, mine has been good. It's been uh, the last uh, month of last month was was really pleasant for us it was the uh, kind of the first time that our family had, had vacation in about two years and and so it was really refreshing and renewing for us as a family and so thank you for for giving us space to be able to uh, to have that time for us as a family really do appreciate that gift um, want to mention real quick uh, in the bulletin uh, it, one of the inserts that we have in there is regarding our Camp Caroline family camp uh, and I mentioned this last week, and so I want to emphasize it again this week. Um, but as uh, earlier this year, our elders made a decision, recognizing that that as a church we have this long history of of a Camp Caroline uh, uh, camp that we attend every October, and it's a tradition that we enjoy, that we celebrate, and we and we uh, want to continue to do. We're uh, also recognizing that we have a long tradition as well with Camp Caroline, as well as with the Alberta Baptist Association, and. Uh, The elders made a decision that if there's a way that we could combine those three partnerships into one event, and so we are going to be joining Camp Caroline's uh, fall retreat at the end of October. Uh, And and so those are some of the reasons uh, for that change, also recognizing that uh, the the cost is a little bit more affordable for for all people involved, uh, certainly for young families as well. And so, uh, I would encourage you to to register online. The the, the URL is is in uh, is in your insert there. And want to encourage you to register online so that um, so that you can get uh, the good beds. I mentioned this last week as well. That it's first come first serve, and so uh, all prices of the rooms are the same. And uh, and so if you, the sooner you register, the sooner you can get the nice rooms, the nice beds, things that are going to accommodate you and your family in preparation for this fall. And really looking forward to being able to continue to continue to do that and practice this tradition uh, into the future as well. So let's mention that. But I so as I was preparing for uh, as I was considering what to preach about this particular week, I was actually going to. Preach from Matthew chapter six verses twenty-five to thirty-four, the last half of this chapter, and and as I was beginning the preparation and reading through it and considering what what to share, um, I really began to get a sense that in order for us to really understand that part of the scripture, we need to understand what Jesus is ta- teaching about in this portion that we're reading in chapters chapter six verses nineteen to twenty-four, and and so as so I. I began to kind of change some of my my thinking and my thought process a little bit this week and, and began reflecting on the contrast Jesus makes between treasures of the world and kingdom treasures. And it struck me that throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five, six, and seven, that we see this theme of God's kingdom repeated throughout Jesus' sermon. And what became really evident though is is how much time and energy and resources that we as humans have designated to building our own kingdoms rather than God's. I was at the grocery store this week, and I just did a quick glance at the magazines and, and, and some of the headlines that, that, that are in bold writing and really flashy letters. And, and, I, and I was, as I looked at the glance, I looked at the headlines, I just thought, this is very evident of that, that there is a, a culture of building our kingdoms rather than building God's. So, I, I, so I, I took some pictures of the, the magazines just for, so I could have them on, on file as I was preparing my message and I felt kind of weird taking pictures of these scantily clad men and scantily clad women and teen magazines and, and uh, kind of felt like a creep. But, uh, but here's some of the top, some, here's some of the headlines that were in these magazines. Gain strength, lose pounds. How to make bigger arms, sharper abs and thicker pecs. Drop 30 pounds in 14 days. Make slimming automatic. Your guide to worry-free retirement. 653 ways to spoil yourself. I just want everyone to be my friend. Drop 10 pounds the fastest, safest way. And these headlines are all about how we can build and strengthen and develop and celebrate our kingdoms. Our appearance, our social networks. I'm getting a little bit of feedback, Frank. Our social networks, our, our futures, you name it. There's a category in, one of the, in some magazine that one of these magazines is addressing. Headlines that were intentionally designed to captivate our attention. But more than that, they were written to, to draw us in and get us to read about what these articles have to say about validating or improving a desire that each of us naturally has. Truth is is that we don't have to look that, we don't have to look very far just to see how deep these types of messages affect us, how they affect our world, how they influence our feelings on the things that we think we need or how we maybe want, or or, or things that we want, or how we see ourselves. We recognize that there's literally billions of dollars invested every year into businesses to help you and I to decide what is the new color scheme that we're going to buy into this year? What's the next big product that Apple or the Gap or Ikea or Toyota is going to push for us this next year? We live in a world that is inundated with information that tells us what you and I should think and what we should eat and what we should wear and and what we should believe. Marketing hasn't become just a tool for selling products, but it's actually become a tool for shaping culture. We see kids younger and younger introduced introduced to technology. We see adults working harder than ever to try to afford the bigger house, the the dream vacation, the recreational toys. We see different political and social agendas being communicated overtly or covertly. Admittedly, some of these agendas align with biblical values, while many don't. And the point is that is that our culture is influenced in pretty significant ways through these types of messaging. Now, just to be transparent, if you were to ask me if I have everything that I, that I need, I'd say, yeah, I think I do. I, I'm probably in abundance or excess, actually. Now, if you were to ask me if I have everything that I wanted, that's a different story. Of course, I, Of course not. I still want more money in my bank account. I still want nicer vehicles. I still want more vacations. And somewhere along the line, though, my mentality has shifted where I no longer desire the things that are basic to me, but instead I desire the things that are luxuries to me and then claim them as needs. And as for, unfortunately, as much as I would love to be able to blame marketers and businesses for this reason, the reality is, is that marketers just capitalize on a heart issue that existed throughout history in you and I. Marketing and consumerism isn't the problem. The problem is our hearts. And this is where we begin to see this tension in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus recognizes the heart condition of man to prioritize my kingdom over everything else. And Jesus begins to give a directive to life that is counter to what you and I naturally lean towards. And Jesus, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, begins to give this new ethic for us, this new way of living. And he begins to preach about a new kingdom rooted in a new way of living that is different from the culture around them. Forgive others. Love your enemies. Give to the poor. Don't judge others. You can't serve God and money. Don't worry about tomorrow. And these are practices that in general, I think most people would say they are, that is counterculture. That is different than what the norm is in our world today. Unfortunately, as much as I would like to say that followers of Jesus have, have taken these messages and, and put them into practice and have changed the world, I only have to look as far as myself to see that that isn't the case. And so as we begin to unpack this passage from Matthew 6, 19 to 24, these verses draw us beyond, beyond just behavior modification. And instead, Jesus now speaks straight to our hearts and asks the question, what are the things that you value? What are the things that we value? What are the things that you and I treasure? And what we read throughout this passage is a reminder to prioritize our values towards kingdom values instead of the values of this world. Where Jesus actually characterizes the values of this world as things that moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Ultimately, what Jesus is describing here are the primary possessions that most of us pursue. And would categorize as necessary. The clothes we wear, the vehicles we drive, the places we live, the possessions that we have that we put inside our houses. Jesus is addressing each of those things. And essentially, Jesus is saying that all of those things that you and I strive for, all those things that we collect, all those things that we prioritize with our time and our money, that those things are temporary they lack the eternal value compared to the kingdom priorities Jesus was teaching about in this sermon. We could could expand on where Jesus is going with this sermon where the clothes we wear, no matter how nice they are, eventually they rot and moths eat them. If you speak into first century Jews, no matter how nice your chariot is, eventually it rusts and you can't drive it. No matter how nice your house is, you are at risk of it being broken into. Those houses at that time were made of mud. All it took was a little bit of breaking through the mud and someone could have access to anything inside your home. However, if we dive a little deeper into these words, we see that Jesus is actually beginning to call us to refocus our priorities less on the possessions and things we own but more he's actually beginning to address the motivation for acquiring those things and what we do with them once we have them. In a word, he's talking about stewardship. So when Jesus uses this phrase in chapter 19 and 20, the phrase store up, he uses it here in two different contexts. The first is in the negative. He's saying, don't store up the treasures of the world. So don't store up. But then in verse 20, he says, do store up the treasures of God's kingdom. This idea of storing up is this idea of accumulation or collecting an abundance of something, especially if it's like fly fishing gear. That's that's worth something. But what we see here is this idea that storing up isn't a bad thing. In fact, there's actually a directive to do it. But it's important that we understand that what we store up is something that is the distinguishing marker for this particular passage. That what we store up is what Jesus is addressing. So, in the context of verse 19, don't store up riches or possessions. Those are the treasures of earth. Don't store up all that stuff. Just over 10 years ago, I was I took a group of junior high students to uh, on a week long missions trip to to Edmonton. And we spent a week with the mustard seed there, and and during that week we, we had a host who was who was doing training and teaching and education with with our young people, and and she and this one this one session that we had she made it, she made an observation about the one of the challenges that the mustard seed was having with some of the marginalized and homeless population was they would give away sandwiches or they'd give away socks or supplies for, for just day-to-day living. And what would happen is uh, someone someone would come along and they would just take everything. And they would take all the socks, they would take maybe all the sandwiches, whatever it was. After all, it was free. And, and the tension that they were finding was, okay, this person needs it, but do they, do they need all of it? And... And, one, and what she what she shared might need this. Eventually, it will. Uh, eventually, I'll run out of sandwiches, or eventually, my socks will wear out. And what's interesting is that they were actually that that if as as I began to reflect on that particular point that she was making, that that these people were actually affirming what Jesus is saying here that all of the material possessions that we have eventually we run out. They are temporary in one form or another. The tension, of course, is that instead of spreading the resources for everyone to use, they found that people were hoarding it for themselves instead. Where they accumulated as much as they can, even though they don't really, really need it. Now, I thought it got to be equal opportunity offenders here, so As I began to think about, okay, what about the other side of the spectrum? The other side of the spectrum where we think about the world's population and wealth distribution. Not sure if you're aware that 1% of the world's population possesses 45 to 50% of the world's wealth. Depending on which site you follow. And so we see this evidence of, of storing up earthly treasures, because one day we may need it for ourselves. And it becomes almost this form of self-preservation. Now the other reason that sometimes we store up heavenly, or earthly, another reason why we store up earthly treasures is perception. And I'm sure that we can look at others and see the excess that some people live within. And we are left shocked at the amount of luxury and waste some people live with live within throughout the world. So again, I went online and just, and I found some some various items that that I think capture uh, captured my point here. Rochelle, do you have those slides ready? Okay. So the first one here is is a is a, is a gold and do, a gold and diamond domino set. Gold and diamond domino set. You have to really like Dominoes to want to invest $175,000 in that. Let's go to the next one. This is an art supply kit worth $3,000. We'll go to the next one. This is augmented paper. Basically, it's, it's digital paper for $700. This is a nice, actually it's a really ugly pen, gotta be honest, but it's worth a million dollars. Okay, so I apologize for anyone who is Italian or Latin. I'm gonna try and say this, but it's a Acqua de Cristeo tributo of Modigliani. Basically they're fancy water bottles is what they are. Sixty thousand dollars you could have those. This is a Calfin Black Diamond Pacifier. You have to really love your baby to spend fifty thousand dollars on that pacifier. It's my personal favorite here. (laughs) Gold toilet paper. It could be yours if you have $1.6 million. This is a Suomo bassinet worth $48,000. This is a Stuart Hughes iPhone 5 black diamond. Now, I wanna be clear here, this is not a dated photo. This is is a new product that someone has created. Even though there's newer phones out there, they have chosen to use the iPhone 5 for some odd reason and lace it in black diamond for $13 million. And then the last one here is the frozen hot chocolate sundae worth $25,000. Lots and lots of excess and waste. In the first century, as Jesus addresses the earthly treasures, he's drawing out our heart's desire to be envied and impressed and impress other people. There's no reason to have some of those things aside from just what it says and what the prestige that it provides. We see our heart's desire to protect ourselves as well. Where we struggle with the temptation to find value and worth through the things that we own. Now, as much as I and we enjoy laughing and shaking our heads at the ridiculousness of these things, and are astonished at the extravagance of these these ten items, we also need to remember that extravagance is a subjective conversation. Where, one, where what one person considers excessive, another might consider necessary. For example, if we took an inventory of the number of cars owned per family amongst us right now, including my own, we might be surprised at how many there are. But what we might quickly discover really quickly how easily we can justify that, how easily we can justify having those things. Meanwhile, if I showed pictures of our possessions to someone in Haiti or Kenya or Sri Lanka, they might laugh and disbelief the same way that we just did at a $50,000 soother. They might exclaim, what does one family need with two or three vehicles? that regardless of where we might fall on the spectrum of wealth within the world, truth is, is that we all have a tendency to want more, or at least hold on to what we currently have. Now, I want to be clear here, that my point is not to shame anyone for the things that we own. Instead, I've I, I shared that because I think it's important that we understand that storing up earthly treasures is a moving target. And that it can't be defined so definitively based on my standard or your standard or perspective. I also think it's important for us to understand that all those things that we justify owning, the things we store up because we can't live without it, that according to Jesus, he says, all those things that we pursue and prioritize is junk compared to the value of the things of heaven. Unfortunately, in verse 20, where, Je- where Jesus directs us to store up a different type of treasure, we aren't given the same type of hints as to what those heavenly treasures might actually be, though. Jesus gives us a really clear idea of what the earthly treasures are in verse 19, but he's not quite so forthcoming with kingdom treasures. And so instead, now, we're left wondering, what are these kingdom treasures that Jesus is talking about? How do we and how do we pursue them if we don't know if what we are actually supposed to be pursuing? Well, the first thing I want to clarify is that I don't think it's monetary. I think that Jesus makes it pretty clear throughout the Gospels that the treasures of God's kingdom aren't jewels or gold or cash or possessions—things that maybe we might hear from prosperity preachers. Again, that's the things that the world values. So sometimes what happens is we have a tendency to monetize what those treasures might be. We, our minds instantly go towards that idea of what treasures could be. But I want to suggest an alternative. That what if the kingdom of heaven wasn't the treasures like that we think they might be, but instead what if the treasure was, was not a what, but what if it was a who? What if the treasure that we are called to store up is Jesus in our life. We can look throughout Scripture and we can see that the goal isn't about earning salvation, nor is it about earning gifts from God in heaven. But instead, the goal we see in Scripture is to pursue the kingdom of heaven and seek after the will of God the Father and deepen our relationship with Jesus. What if we stored up that stored up the treasures of heaven by placing our faith in Jesus? What if we stored up the treasures of heaven by being obedient to his will? What if we prioritize those two things over everything else? Where the kingdom of God becomes our singular focus. When Jesus teach, continues to teach in verses 22 and 23, he says this, The eyes are the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now Jesus isn't simply just talking about what we watch, what we look at, and how that affects our heart, although I believe that to be true. The eyes in this passage is actually a metaphor for our hearts. But beyond that, what Jesus is saying, the words that, as we begin to understand what he's saying here is that, the word, is that when, he's, when he's talking about our hearts being clear or our hearts being dark, he's, he's speaking something very purposeful, very intentional for us to understand that we can't miss. You see, the word light that's used here when it was translated from the Greek is the word haplous. And the word can be defined in two different ways. One, it can mean singular or undivided loyalty. Jesus is saying there is an expectation for us as followers of Jesus to be completely devoted to Jesus. The second definition is to live generously. I don't think these two definitions are mutually exclusive. In fact, I think they work very much hand in hand with each other. That as we live mutually devoted to Jesus, that we are generous with our love, that we are generous with our kindness, that we are generous with our finances, that we are generous with revealing the kingdom of God, and that out of our singular focus on Jesus, that our lives reflect the same degree of generosity that Jesus has extended to each of us. Conversely, as I said, we need to understand the word light, but we also need to understand that word darkness. The Greek word for that is, is paneros, which can mean evil. Another way it can be translated is selfishness or miserly. Miserly just means someone who hoards wealth. So I think there's two possible interpretations to what Jesus is getting at here. One. That anyone who divides his interests and tries to focus on both God and treasures of the world has really no clear direction and will live without clear orientation and vision and purpose in their life. It'd be like if I wanted to drive to Costco or go fly fishing simultaneously. I can't do it. I have to make a decision on which one I'm going to prioritize. You can decide which one is the more godly of the two. Eventually, though, when we live divided lives, we have to choose which one to follow. Jesus makes it clear for us that we need to choose one side or the other. It says in Revelations 3, 15 and 16, says, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. He's saying, if you can't decide, I'll decide for you. Your unwillingness to choose me means that you've actually chosen darkness. There's not really any gray area on this one. The other interpretation that we see here is that that anyone who is stingy and selfish cannot really see where they are going. Because they're morally and spiritually blind. They have rejected the moral and spiritual ethic that Jesus has taught in these passages, or maybe just cherry-picked the easy ones, the ones that are easy to follow. "I can love some people. I don't want to love my enemies though. I can pray for these people, but I don't want to pray for that person." Worse. But they become His. where we embrace the calling Jesus gives to refocus our priorities less on the, our possessions and things we own but more so on our motivation for acquiring those things and what we do with them once we have them. And it shifts our perspective from what we will do with our things to what we will do with His things. And we become kingdom stewards within our relationships. We become kingdom stewards with our resources. We we become kingdom stewards ourselves where each of those things become tools we use to bring God's kingdom on earth. They become tools that lead others into God's presence. They become tools that allow us to be able to to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus makes it really clear in verse 24 that no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. It's not, it isn't very few or most people can't do it. It's none of us. I can't. You can't. The most spiritual person you can think of can't do it. None of us can be equally devoted to our possessions or self-protection or our perception and to Jesus as well. And so as we look at this passage and consider that Jesus is the treasure that we are to store in our hearts, that we are to steward the possessions in our lives for his purpose and glory. He doesn't give a prescription on how to do that, but he does say, why don't you try this instead? And why don't you try to listen to me so that I can lead you instead of you lead yourself? where we pray that God's kingdom would be fulfilled on earth as it is in heaven as he as Jesus teaches us the lord's prayer this prayer submits our will and our desires to a posture of prioritizing God's treasures in his kingdom and as we submit our will to God's as we su- submit our will to God's the spirit leads our stewardship rather than us we are stewards of God's kingdom in our lives let me close with, with this story. <clears throat> American psychologist, Renee Spitz, he conducted a South American, he was studying at a South American medical hospital where children had been abandoned there. And when he, when he arrived, there was 97 babies, ranging in age from three months to three years. And they were adequately fed, and they were cared for. But a shortage of nurses began to rob these children of the loving attention that most babies get. And so for most of the day, unfortunately, these babies babies were left to themselves. And within three months, he notes that abnormalities began to show up. There was a loss of appetite, an inability to sleep, just a general loss of interest in life. And by the end of five months, The deterioration of these children had accelerated. Many of them had shrunken bodies. They had been emotionally starved, and they whimpered and trembled, and their faces twisted in grotesque ways. Within the first year, 27 of the children had died, seven more before the age of two. Of those who survived, 21 were so affected that they were hopeless neurotics for the rest of their lives. This is a reality that reflects our world, I think. Where there's a brokenness that exists within our world. Where we see evidence of the lack of love in this particular case. But we see evidence, we don't have to go very far to see evidence of the lack of love. To see that God's kingdom needs to be revealed today. Everyone is in need of love. Everyone is in need of experiencing the treasures of God's kingdom today. Everyone needs Jesus. You and I are called to steward our relationships and resources and store up those treasures of heaven so that Jesus might be made known in us and through us. So I want to give three ways that we can do that. One, live generously with your time. Make space in your schedule to meet with someone. Initiate a conversation with someone after the service. Mark, thanks for leading us in that, by the way. I think we could have just spent here an hour just doing that. That was really rich. Maybe say yes to meeting with someone who has been wanting to meet with you for a while. Maybe, shift our, maybe it might mean shifting our perspective from seeing individuals or people as disruptions, but instead as opportunities to reveal the treasures of heaven in their lives. Two, live generously with your resources. Maybe after service when you go for lunch, tip the waiter or the waitress well. Look for opportunities to bless someone. A couple of years ago, Natalie and I were on a date night, and, and we saw a young couple that we were familiar with, and, and uh, I said, Natalie, do you think we should, I'd love to be able to bless them. And so we agreed that we would, we would pay for them, pay for their lunch. What we didn't know was that it was their anniversary, (laughs) and they were there for a good time, and uh, (laughs) and so we got the bill, and it was much more than ours, and uh, and we but we said you know we we already agreed that we'd pay for it, but but it struck me in the back of my mind after we paid for it, if I had known how much they had charged, would I have been as generous? Would I have still offered? For myself as well, we have been the recipients of that sort of blessing as well. Where occasionally in the past we've seen people who who have just felt like the Lord was just saying, just bless Ryan and Natalie. And we've received checks in our church mailboxes and just, God, what are you doing there? And what we've just, what we discovered both as the recipient and the giver is that as on both sides that there's, there's, a, there's a blessing that's, that comes with that that is maybe not monetary, but just because, but it's a reflection of the kingdom that's happening inside of us and through us. Three, live generously with your faith. Pray for people. Trust that God will provide Submit your will to him. Listen to how God might be inviting you to steward the resources he has entrusted with you to carry. There's people in your lives for a reason. And maybe it's because Jesus wants to use you to reveal what what his treasure actually looks like and could be in their lives as well. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up and they're going to lead us in one last song. Let me pray as we close. God, we recognize that that this is a this is a a tough calling. This is a tough teaching that you give us. And God, admittedly, there's there's discomfort that, that comes with that. Because you challenge my kingdom. You challenge our kingdom. God we recognize and, and and submit ourselves to you and say, Jesus, we want it to be less about me, we want it to be less about us, and we want it to be more about you. God, help us to steward your, your resources. Help us to steward your relationships. Help us to steward your treasures in ways that make a difference for your kingdom. So, God, we open ourselves up to you. That we pray that you begin to speak into our lives as to what is our response now. What is it that you want to say? What is it that you want us to to do as a response to this now, God? Amen. Feel free to stay seated for a closing song, and just sort of
0: um, to continue to kind of gear our thinking towards what Ryan shared and uh,
1: focus our our vision and our intentions and um, our desires and values on the things above um, sing couple songs here are uh, sort of uh, tie together a couple of songs that speak to that.
0: Be thou my Now one more time. Be Thou my vision, o Lord of my heart, my, Dios, thou. Thou art. Thou my best love. Thou day. I'm more sleepy than i
1: Love to pray for you there'll be some space up here and, and i'll just hang around here if too if you'd like to pray or just chat about some things would love to do that with you uh at this point uh, go this and, he's at, and reflect the treasures in heaven living inside of you that jesus is alive and he's at work in you and through you this week go in peace